the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Tuesday, February 8th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups. Everything you could possibly need to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com. And on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. We got a brand new uh, Make Barbecue Great Again mug sitting here on the pod table. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. StayReadyGear.com and on Instagram, StayReadyGearUSA. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear for all you military and law enforcement. Anything you need, custom orders. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. We've got some uh, major league sales going on down at my pillow right now. Weighted blankets, Giza Dream Everything, my slippers, more. Head over to the website, mypillow.com forward slash steak enter steak at checkout for even bigger savings than that or talk to a qualified pillow representative down at my pillow 1-800-658-8045 the top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in studio recording equipment can be found at odyssey and odyssey.com whether you're gaming potting are a man of constant sorrow etc let it sound more unbelievable than it ever has before. You can find him on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's got a five-star rating. If you're into trade disease, he's a licensed FFL. You can find him on his easy-to-navigate, newly redesigned website at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. On Facebook Messenger, via the telephone, 619-870-6992. First responders always working hard. We'll be uh, back the blue on steak for breakfast. And uh, they back Mediocre Medic when they're on and off duty. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, fanny packs, flip-flops, and more. Stickers and patches as well. MediocreMedic.com, you can find them on Instagram. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of Tactical Flare. Dump box. Home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. Don't know? Go ask Mark. Figure it out. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. And at dumpbox.us. Friends, don't forget to follow us. On Instagram, it's Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our Telegram, new Substack, and more. On that note, welcome Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 106. I'm Rowan. Noah's here. Yo. 
Antoinette's joined us. Nice. We're going to have a great show coming up. We've got some good guests. Uh, senatorial candidate out of Arizona, Blake Masters, and gubernatorial candidate out of the great state of Texas. Colonel Allen West will be joining us later. But first, let's jump into the news. Let's. How are you guys doing today? Outstanding. Not bad, right? Good, good. It's getting a little warm out here on the left coast right now. Sorry for all of our uh, listeners back east and abroad. You know, it's pretty <laughs> crappy weather over there, but I mean, I guess that's what we pay all of our ridiculous taxes for out here in SoCal and Vegas. Well, I mean, it depends how far north you are because there's a chance of snow with a side of honking. Mm. Yeah, that's still going on, huh? Yep. You guys, uh, Truckapalooza's really heating up. Love it. Yeah, we, <laughs> it's we, amazing. We've seen the uh, Canadian feds trying to intervene. We've seen Justin Castro Trudeau make a statement. Do show. Yeah. I like how uh, Tucker Carlson let in on the segment last night. He's like, the Prime Minister of Canada, known <laughs> commonly as the illegitimate love child of Fidel Castro, Justin Trudeau. Got him. Like that? Straight up? Just like that. Oh, my god! And he read it seem- more seamlessly than I just said it. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where the only way this is going to end is with, what do they say, civil disobedience? Yeah. And not complying. And those truckers are, are showing the rest of the world what it looks like as peacefully as possible. Well, it's just one of those things where it, it's not like you just have some dude with a shopping cart that you got to, you know, shove away from the front of a Walgreens. It's mm-hmm. like, right. <laughs> this is a fucking tractor trailer. Yeah. Even the military said that they won't get involved. They no. don't want to get involved. Yeah. Why would I, you? That was awesome. Yeah. You know, uh, the tow companies were just like, yeah, sorry, we got COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how many tow companies did, I mean, there's probably a lot of tow companies, but like how many of them have the actual like big rig wreckers that can pull those right. things? Yeah. Well, now they're using tractor trailers, like big track, like farming tractors too, to oh, yeah. join the convoy. So yeah. how, how are they going to tow those things as well? I saw several more ports of entry connecting the United States where Canada were also blocked by truckers who were being prevented from getting to Ottawa. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to have to see what happens. I, I, I really hope that... Uh, I think some of the places they've they've allowed for, like, one lane of traffic just yeah. to not completely bogart the whole thing. That's for food in and out, fuel yeah. distribution, yeah. and then emergency services, which is extremely uh, well thought out and planned. Before we get into our first segment, where we'll be circling back with something we ended the show on last week, and that's the whole narrative that Mike Pence was pushing um, from a conference hosted by the Federalist uh, last Friday. You know, we talked about the Robbie Starbuck issue two weeks ago, and uh, Morgan Ortegas formally announced her candidacy to run in Tennessee District 5. And she's going to run against Robbie Starbuck, who has a considerable lead there in the Republican primary. Um, I I think it's a shame. And uh, I'm starting to think of a a narrative uh, that I'll talk about after this next one, because if you had gone and uh, read the little op-ed that I put out over the weekend in regards to uh, the midterm election season and the endorsements that are coming down. I didn't even see that. From our sub stack. I sent it to the group chat. Thanks for ignoring it. Oh, oops. Um, Entitled, What Do Endorsements Mean to Me? And uh, at the end of the day, it's a whole lot of nothing. You know, it's nice to have good big endorsements, but, you know, they're saying some people in in circles right now that are saying that, you know, a Wendy Rogers one might be more viable than a Donald Trump one at the moment. And um, I've talked to several candidates who are America first. We've had them on the show. They've been great. 
And they said, you know, people like Wendy Rogers have shot them down like two or three times until they really proved that they were America first and said and did the right things in regards to, you know, who were on their campaign teams, how they're raising money and why. And what I like doing that, though, with it. because then you're not just like, hey, this is my deal. It's like, no, you're you're not. You're full of shit or you're not or you are yeah. legitimate. So I talked about us here in the first place, you know, with all these rhinos and shit. Yep. And, and that's exactly what what Morgan Ortega says. She is a Mike Pompeo loyalist who in turn pledged her loyalty to work with the Obama administration before she was let go at the uh, changing of the guard last January. And uh, definitely not what we need running in Tennessee five right now. We need Robbie Starbuck mm-hmm. and we need a lot more of them. Someone who is just like him. I love his Instagram. As we're trying to build this narrative right now is Mike Collins, former guest of Steak for Breakfast, who will be rejoining us on the 1st of March, uh, who's running in Georgia 10. A recent poll came out from USA Today, which is no friend of conservatives, Mm -mm. that showed Mike uh, had a lead of 36 percent in the Republican primary for Georgia 10. And his nearest challenger was at 11. And that's what 17 percent of uh, Georgia 10 (laughs) Gone. Registered voters undecided so far. So you could only think at the very minimum he's going to get at least a 5% more bump from that. Well, yeah, I mean, even anybody that's undecided is probably so fed up with all the bullshit. They're like, yeah, this guy. And Mike and uh, Robbie are out there working relentless to promote the Save America narrative and the, you know, um, America First platform. So, like I had felt was coming and I included in the Substack that I put out this weekend. Um, it was announced today on Fox and friends. I stayed all the way up till four fifteen in the morning to watch it. Wow. Yeah. Vernon Jones, who was running for governor, uh, in an attempt to clear the path for David Perdue, a la Trump world, um, announced he's stepping down from the gubernatorial race there to focus his sights on Georgia 10, which again makes no sense. Yeah. What the hell? Until I really thought about it. And this is what I'm thinking. We're starting to see a little bit of hypocrisy coming out of Trump world. America first and this whole movement is based off getting people outside of the beltway, outside of that mentality, outside of being a politician to run and save America by really representing the people because it's going to be represented by people who are our normal people, mm-hmm. everyday people, former servicemen and women, um, mothers, fathers, pastors, Business owners, the people who are probably most affected by all the bullshit going on in this country right now. Wait, what bullshit? All of the bullshit. <laughs> from our southwest border to COVID, the economy, and beyond. Sounds like a movie introduction. In a world. Right? Oh, God. But anyways, I think where what we're seeing right now is in two very public, very popular, and very distinct cases with Robbie Starbuck and Mike Collins, they are trying to insert more of a Beltway vibe into a grassroots populist, nationalist movement right now um, because I think they're a little bit worried about people that literally have no experience whatsoever in politics, even though Mike's ran a campaign. Mm -hmm. Robbie's been involved in politics. He's spoken on the main stage at CPAC for the last two years since his walkaway moment. And uh, they're trying to put people in there because I think they're a little bit nervous that a whole bunch of, like, boot-wearing, jean-wearing, like, blue-collar people are going to get into Washington, D.C., and and they're probably getting a pushback from, like, the McCarthy team who's probably scared. I don't want all these people telling me that, number one, I'm not going to be Speaker of the House. Yep. And number two, how to do my job. 
And then all of the, uh, you know, people in Trump world are saying, like, well, they all can't be like that. We have to have some people with some kind of background in politics or you're going to run into the same problems that you had when you first took office. Semicolon. That's the reason Donald Trump won the presidency in 2016. Yeah. Because even though he came from the big business sector, he had nothing. In po- he flip-flopped on politics for decades. Everything from, like, foreign policy to domestic trade, uh, vaccine mandates, and, and more. And, and it's one of those things where you really have to take into consideration, like, the people that are running now and are having the most success are the ones that genuinely represent the American people, the blue-collar, middle-class, nuclear family of the America First movement. And that's dangerous to the establishment. And to see them pumping the brakes on candidates like Mike Collins and Robbie Starbucks is equal parts disappointing mm-hmm. and disgusting. And uh, we've endorsed both of them. We're going to have both of them back really soon, and we'll continue to promote their campaigns and hope they get over the finish line first in the primaries, which are coming up fairly soon. And then in November during the midterm elections, which is consequently the most important election in the history of this country, mm-hmm. I say. Yeah. So, you know, Cash Patel had, he hosted Donald Trump last night um, for an interview uh, on Cash's corner. And, and, you know, they talked about how scary saying, what are we going to do for the next three years is there's a little segment on that. And I shared it on our Twitter account. And it's one of those things like we really got to hunker down. We have the ability to completely stymie the Biden administration to do nothing. Well, I mean, they're stymieing themselves, too. True. But yeah. any kind of thing that gets passed after the November elections will be through EO only. There will be no bipartisan. Anything. Oh, yeah, no. So and if you want to get to the root causes of where COVID came from, Dr. Fauci's power grab What's going on on the southern border, the Afghan debacle, the economy, and is it purposeful, our foreign policy and the wagging of the dog and all the other things that are fucking with you and your family and your kids? You got to back these candidates. This is so important. And uh, we really don't take time to really promote these people. We give them the opportunity to let you hear their platform on this show. And then we tell you at the end of every episode, do your research, make informed decisions. Mm -hmm. You may have somebody that come on the show that you completely don't identify with. Or like, you know, and, and, and it's one of those things where uh, you have to see the people who are really in this this game right now. And uh, why? Because the stakes are, sounds cliche to say, they're higher than ever before. Very high. So, yeah, I just wanted to kind of get that off my chest. And as we continue to see, hopefully what isn't a pattern, but over the last two weeks really has started to look like one where some of these uh, former administration officials and uh, possible Beltway plants are getting selectively placed into these races where some of the biggest grassroots Save America candidates are picking up steam. So we'll just kind of uh, play it by ear. And now let's start to, uh, you know, circle back with Mike Pence from last week. We played it at the end of our show because it was breaking while the show was being recorded. Uh, He made some comments regarding uh, the election Mm -hmm. and the things that, uh, you know, he thought he was legally able to uh, do, um, you know, when they went to certify the 2020 presidential elections on January 6th of uh, 2021. And what happened was uh, he made some comments that really didn't resonate with a whole bunch of people in the uh, Save America movement. You think? And and that's because they they really took a look at, um, you know, the things that Mike Pence said he couldn't do. And the way he kind of framed it isn't really what anyone was asking for on that day. We're mm-hmm. going we're gonna to go back and play the clip again, and then we're going to, like, talk about it a little bit. 
But there are those in our party who believe that, as the presiding officer over the joint session of Congress, that I possess unilateral authority to reject electoral college votes. And I heard this week that President Trump said I had the right to overturn the election. But President Trump is wrong. Oh. I had no right to overturn the election. The presidency belongs to the American people and the American people alone. And frankly, there is no idea more un-American than the notion that any one person could choose the American president. Under the Constitution, I had no right to change the outcome of our election. Oh. What a stupid son of a bitch. Correct. Oh. So at no point over the course of that whole stop the steal. Yeah, but it's not him choosing. It's him choosing to make sure that it was legitimate. And by doing exactly. that, all they were asking was for a brief pause yeah. and an extension to send the electors back to the states in question. There was anywhere between five and seven of them, if you want to include places like Nevada. And uh, just to take a look. Now, let's go and, and, and take a quick trot down memory lane and see what's happened since then. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Wisconsin right now has handed the Speaker of the House, Voss, a resolution to decertify the electoral votes in, in Wisconsin after it was found that hundreds of thousands of ballots could have been affected by the illegal drop boxes and ballot harvesting from old folks homes, which mm -hmm. are apparently there are a lot of them there. Georgia's a disaster. We've seen chain of custody crap from top to bottom, in addition to the signature verification being turned all the way down to basically say you could draw an X and it would match your DMV or whatever signature you have on file on the voting registration. That seems like it's okay, right? Super legit. Yeah. Pennsylvania has already ruled in their state Senate that things that they did regarding mail-in balloting, early balloting, and post-November 4th collection of ballots via the mail were all constitutionally illegal and implemented illegally could affect up to 250 plus thousand ballots. I like where that's going. Yeah. Arizona, yeah. obviously we had the audit. It, it's going wherever it's going to go. But Mark Fincham uh, drafted legislation yesterday with the help of Wendy Rogers and, and pushed it up the chain in the Senate there to decertify the votes in Arizona. And that was based off of, you know, some widespread allegations of irregularities and inconsistencies with their normal voting procedures during the 2020 presidential election there. And, uh, you know, in, in Michigan, there's just, a, you know, they had 700 or 7,000 signed affidavits from people who all said these things were going on that they just completely ignored. And, and it's one of those things where they're starting to shape a narrative now that's going to separate the Make America Great Again movement and the established Republicans heading post midterm elections and into the uh, presidential primary season. And I think where we're going to see the Mike Pence's, the Chris Christie's, hopefully not, but probably the Ted Cruz's on one side of the aisle. And then like the Donald Trump, the Ron DeSantis's and people like that on this side. So, you know, we're just going to kind of keep an eye on it, but the narrative that Mike Pence was, spouting off last week is not what was asked for or what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. The election would over only, only, only be overturned if, you know, they found the things that they were asking for them to look into. However, 
we didn't even get the opportunity to that because, you know, according to Mike Pence, he's saying that they wanted them to simply just overturn it in the Senate. Yeah, and that's as much of a cop-out as it was the people that didn't vote to decertify because they're like, because of what happened, I can no longer support blah, blah, blah. Right, and they wanted to go right to contingent election, which was an option, but, you know, it was kind of like a plan B or a plan C. Um, Chris Christie was on ABC's This Week this weekend and was talking about the same narrative. Like I said, these guys are trying to line themselves up. Imagine how awful a Pence Christie ticket would do. Oof. Oh, gosh. Laughable. You think they even get 5% of the party? No. No. I didn't think so either. Let's hear hear this thick boy kind of weigh in on what we just played from Mike Pence. So, Chris Christie, you can answer that question. Where does he really stand and why now? Why did he do it now? Well, look, um, Martha, I think that the actions the vice president took on January 6th spoke loudly, and I'm glad he's finally put words to it. I don't know why it took him so long, but I'm glad that he did. Um, And let's face it, let's call this what it is. January 6th was a riot that was incited by Donald Trump Mm. uh, in an effort to intimidate Mike Pence and the Congress into doing exactly what he said in his own words last week, overturn the election. Now, he's tried to do a cleanup on aisle one here um, and correcting that stuff, but it's not going to change. He actually told the truth by accident. He wanted the election to be overturned. Donald Trump did respond um, to what the vice president said, and I think it's kind of akin to the kid standing in the corner holding his breath. Um, You know, it's immature, um, and it's beneath the office that he held. Wow. You know, it's pretty funny because... uh... Chris Christie always sounds like he's holding his breath. Oop. <laughs> I don't know how you get winded sitting in a chair. Right. <laughs> well, you know. He thick. He's good. I can't believe he said that, though. It's like, ugh. Yeah, I think it's disgusting, and I think it's one of those things where, uh, you know, like I said, these people are starting to uh, draw political alliances right now, and uh, we really need to keep an eye on that because it's probably going to get a little bit spicier. I don't think they're going to let it go at – Donald Trump simply wanted to overturn the election. Resident yeah. resident Cryer and um, soon-to-be representative, or um, I'm sorry, soon-to-be not representative anymore. <laughs> Got him. Adam Kinzinger uh, jumped on with CNN over the weekend to kind of talk about this. He tied the whole January 6th together and uh, gave a little insight onto what he's going to tell his kids Donald Trump really means to him. Line on this, John, is, you know, I just had a kid three weeks ago when he's five or ten and learning about history. I want to make sure that he gets a full accounting of what happened on January 6th. And I want to make sure that every Republican member of Congress, when their kids and grandkids are in school, they're going to look and be like, hey, mom or dad or grandma, grandpa, how did you vote on January 6th? That's going to be something I think in five or ten years is going to be hard to explain if you're not on the side of truth. Well, first of all, it's going to be debunked. Mm -hmm. Second of all, what will you tell? Christian when he's old enough. How will, what will you tell Christian about Donald Trump? Mm. Wow. I'm going to tell him he was the worst president the United States of America ever had. He was a liar. He was a charlatan. And Damn. he was a man with a more fragile ego, ego than anybody I've ever met, which the irony of it is he walks around like the tough guy, but he's the one that gets more offended and wounded and sad than anybody I know. I'm also going to tell him that it was the moment that I hope America hit the bottom of 
you know, its slide towards authoritarianism in the moment we woke up. Uh, I hope he's proud of what I've done. I'm, I'm confident he will be because, you know, short of uh, this thing really going off the rails, this thing being our country in this experiment, I think we're going to look back and say, wow, that was a moment we might have flown too close to the sun and we can never do that again. Uh, you guys also see that they're starting to paint the narrative to try and find something legally that eventually sticks and it's going to yeah. make an attempt to stop Donald Trump, prevent him from running for office again. Oh, yeah, they were already trying to do that. Yeah, yeah. it's really starting to re-ramp up. I and think they're also nervous at the possibility of him um, becoming Speaker of the House, you know. Which, which every day becomes more and more of a... They're scared of him being anywhere in government Yeah, at this possible point. reality. Um, right. I, I really do hope a, a really strong Speaker of the House comes out of all that, like Jim Banks. I would love him. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it'd be really good to see somebody like that who's just beloved and smart, constitutionalist, definitely backs the president. So I definitely I don't you know, it's hard for me to I see hit the possibility of Trump being becoming speaker 100 days and gone. That's it. 100, 120 days and then yeah. take off and announce your candidacy for president again. Yeah. Same time. It's hard for me to um, see him accept that because of 2020 being stolen, obviously, you I, know, I get but it, but, it, but it's done once. And, and it's uh, historically looked at as one of the most, you know, Glorious rising of the phoenixes ever with Grover Cleveland. Right. So, and there was a lot of questions, you know, surrounding his reelection campaign the first time. And he kind of walked with it time three. So we'll have to take it from there. Um, Matt Gates was on War Room, I think, yesterday. And uh, he was kind of following up, you know, about these developments with Pence and Christie and all these other morons that came out over the weekend and, you know, told people on CNN and NBC and CBS, they showed the commentator on the doll where Donald Trump hurts them the yeah. most. But uh, he, he took a little reflection back to uh, the last time he talked to Mike Pence going into January 6th, and I, I thought it would be, you know, relevant to this segment. The America First movement certainly exposes them further, but I remember my last meeting with Mike Pence. It was before January 6th. It was in the White House. We were there talking not about insurrection and overthrowing the government, but about the substantive arguments that we believed would prevail in debate, much like Peter Navarro has laid out on this program. And, and also mm -hmm. uh, the substantive arguments that we thought would be persuasive to state legislatures who were looking for a signal to take more aggressive action to uh, uh, not maintain the fiction of elections that were not run fairly. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew then that he was not going to show a, a great deal of boldness before the Congress. He because came in and met with us. Because he didn't understand the content of what had gone on and why the process for the certification of the electors had to go back to the states and the states like uh, the Jake Corman in Arizona, in Georgia, and these other places wanted to go through and review the process? It was more just the, the defeatism in his eyes and in his tone. And it reminded me of like those George W. Bush years where there was just kind of an exasperation that we had to kind of surrender to the frame of the media or the powers that be and that we didn't have the ability to go and carve out our own destiny. Mm. And I saw that in him at the time. We put forward arguments and affidavits and evidence. We showed him videos. We were in the cabinet room meeting with Mike Pence 
in the days leading up to January 6th. And uh, it, I left quite disappointed that, that he, uh, he was not motivated by our argument. And the way... So I do like the counter-narrative that, that Matt Gates is starting to, uh, you know, generate in regards to that, that he was a uninterested, weak, and showed some serious red flags in regards to loyalty mm-hmm. uh, when it came to even looking at the evidence that was being presented heading into January 6th. You know, I just think that... Um, at the end of the day, this is going to be a uh, 12-round heavyweight matchup with some big haymakers coming between now and before we finally get to a oh, yeah. a disposition of this and then clear it. Yeah. You, you know, and this also comes on the heel of Liz Cheney and uh, Kinsey are being censured last week in the Republican Party, essentially putting them on an island. And you see uh, Harriet Hageman in Wyoming up by nearly 40% of the primary early voting polls. Uh, it's just amazing to see her favorability go down so far in her own home state where she doesn't even live. Remember, Liz Cheney lives in Aspen and Washington, D.C., not in Wyoming. Mm, seems where, legit. Yeah, where she's supposedly a representative. And uh, we just have to kind of, you know, keep showing you guys both sides of the coin. Like we said, January 6th was an awful thing, but it's not awful for the reasons that you know, Nancy Pelosi makes you want to feel about it. It's awful because we lost a big piece of what makes our country really spectacular on that Yeah, day. we lost the legitimacy of our election system. And and whether or not you want to say that there were some people who did bad things on that day, granted, yes, there was. Um, was the overwhelming majority of the people there really doing those things? Um, are, the, are the hit piece videos that they put out when there's, you know, over 14,000 hours of it still not revealed to the public? really the total picture that they are painting for the American public. It's not, I don't understand what's their, what is their reasoning for not releasing all that stuff? Oh, because Besides, it looks bad for them. Well, it's tied up into the actual committee and, yeah. and will have to become public record when they're finished mm. and they'll probably finish it up right after the midterm elections. Oh, good. Yeah. Perfect. timing. But I mean, we've seen so many things from, you know, uh, Murray and Bowser, the, the DC mayor refusing to, to bring extra law enforcement from the D.C. police, Nancy Pelosi saying no to the 20,000 National Guardmen that Donald Trump wanted to post. Um, His speech still going on when, you know, the first elements of the insurrection were supposedly starting. And then then a lot of, you know, conflicting videos. We did see people fighting with Capitol Police officers, but we also saw groups of families standing out in the... uh, in the front of the Capitol that were getting flashbangs thrown at them for no reason by, by cops that were all the way up on the, you know, mezzanine of the, of the building. Yeah. That's kind of a dick move. Yeah, it certainly is. So, and, and we've seen people beat unmercifully, uh, in the tunnel right underneath the Capitol and, and who knows why, mm-hmm. um, the video that's been released only shows cops like beating them with their, with their batons until they couldn't reach them with the batons anymore and then climbing on top of the dog pile to punch them in the face. And it was, it was like gal. So, you know, and then you saw all this stuff happen. Anywhere else, that would be, people would be up in arms about police brutality. Police. Yeah. Yeah. But Trump supporter lives don't matter. So, Mm-mm. Consequently, I saw this morning that uh, the Department of Homeland Security extended its advisory for the rise of white nationalism Uh-oh. and insurrectionists. Oh. Yes, it's a the fifth extension. General Milley's got a boner. It probably does. <laughs> he probably uh, smeared his nails that he was probably putting a clear coat on this morning. 
when, when he <laughs> saw that come across his computer screen. He's sitting there on his couch. <laughs> yeah, good job, Merrick Garland, for uh, holding the line there and, and making us all feel safe and secure. <laughs> safe is the most secure I've felt in wow. But yeah, kind of, kind of, a, kind of an up and down narrative to start the show this week. You know, the stuff that's going on with with some of these America First candidates and the confusion of of getting, you know, establishment plants put into their races, and combined with that narrative we began for you guys last Friday with the Mike Pence stuff and how that kind of unfolded throughout the weekend. So, you know, as we're getting ready to bring in an America First candidate right now who's looking to represent Arizona, Blake Masters as his audio is loading. We'll just kind of, uh, you know, continue to give you guys. Show you guys the facts, lay out all the evidence, and then at the end of the day, let you guys make a decision on it. All right, joining us today on the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he's the president of the Thiel Foundation and a co-author of uh, Zero to One. He's running for the U.S. Senate in the great state of Arizona, as we have a lot of those candidates on lately from the great state. Mr. Blake Masters, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Hey, gang. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going on your end? Things are going well. You know, I'm never uh, complacent. I'm working every day like I'm the underdog, but we uh, we like what we're seeing, and I'm going to win this thing. Yeah, we saw some uh, pretty good poll numbers recently, and uh, saw you on Tucker Carlson last night. Yeah, that was a fun one. Oh. Always always good to join Tucker. Yeah, it was a good segment about uh, some of the crime. We could touch on that a little bit later. I was sitting there with my wife, and I was like, oh, he's going to be on our show tomorrow. And she's like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Got to love it. All right, so you're in the race now, and, and it looks like the rollout's been pretty good. I think what a lot of people are going to be, you know, really wondering about, they, they may have been to your social medias and saw your uh, intro video and, and stuff like that, but what was some of the motivating factors for you to to run for a Senate seat in, in Arizona? Well, I just feel like we're losing the country. Mm-hmm. You know, you look around, and at this current clip, we are on track to not have a country that we recognize by 2030, certainly by 2040. And, you know, I think we need a new generation of leadership that actually can get in and understand some of these issues. You know, some some issues we're dealing with are uh, familiar, right? Like the border crisis. Like yes. That was a choice by Biden to, to cause that crisis. He opened up the border. We know how to fix it, right? It, it, you just need the political will to get it done. Build the wall, triple the size of border patrol, you know, whatever. But But some issues, like the existential threat of big tech, right, or like, what do we do about cryptocurrency? What do we do about uh, China and hypersonic, you know, missile delivery systems? These things are just more cutting edge. And I feel like we've got a lot of the same people in Congress who have been there for decades, literally yes. decades. Yes. And I don't think they have their finger on the pulse of what's going wrong and, you know, where we need to go in the next five or 10 years in order to make sure we have a good future. Yeah, I think there's a a lot that resonates when you talk about some of those things. I think I'm going to get into some of these issues that you, you had mentioned first. Uh, let's talk about the border. You had a really great video on it. I don't know if you posted it over the weekend, but that's when I saw it and shared it. And you do make some of the best videos out there for any of the candidates going on. you got a great crew. You hope you pay them a lot of money because they make it sound and look just amazing. I really think you get the, uh, the pulse of what's going on out there with the serious of your words and then the context of the uh, cinematology you got going on. But what? How do you think now you said building the wall and and tripling the size of the border patrol and, and probably supporting agencies are some of the elements that go into fixing this problem. But what do we do to correct the stuff that's already gone wrong? I mean, people have made estimates anywhere from I've heard two million, maybe through from places like DHS all the way up to people that have gone on, you know, 
Steve Bannon show and said it's with the getaways up to six million already in, in 13 calendar months since since Joe Biden took office. How are we going to maybe immigration moratorium? How do you feel on some of those things? I mean, yeah, I think we need an immigration moratorium. You know, I'm clear we can get that passed, but certainly we need less immigration overall. I think the correct amount of immigration, illegal immigration is zero. Right? Yes. That's why it's illegal. Like you're not supposed to have any. And, uh, you know, we also take more than one million legal immigrants every year. And that's probably just way too much. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want the world's best and the brightest to come here. If you're a rocket scientist or some fantastic, you know, unparalleled, talented chemical engineer, then great. Like, come here, start a company. You know, we can get you a, an extraordinary alien visa. But that's, you know, that's probably like 50,000 people a year. Yeah. Not a million. And so just importing a million people a year in this, you know, bureaucratic and haphazard fashion, when already so many existing Americans are struggling, doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so, yeah, we got to close the border. What do you do with the people who have come here illegally in the past 13 months? Um, you know, it's not clear you can deport them all. It's not clear we can actually even understand, like, who they are or where they're going. They'd right. Probably the federal government find them. helps disappear them into the country. But what we have to do is make sure that uh, that they can never vote, that they don't you know, get put on some path to amnesty, mm -hmm. um, which, of course, is the Democrats playbook. Yeah. They want open borders uh, in large part so that they can make these people voters and they expect them to vote Democrat. And we just can't can't indulge that electoral strategy. And so, you know, if you commit crimes, if you don't pay taxes, boom, you're deported, obviously. But uh, but for the people that stay here, I just think it's so important they can never become citizens. You can never vote. If your first interaction with our country is to break our immigration laws, you're not going to be a US, U.S. citizen. I think that's just something that 80 percent of Americans can agree on. It sure does. And it seems like it makes a whole hell of a lot of sense when you when you kind of lay it out there like that. Well, not to mention, you know, coming in in a specific way, whether you're uh committing fraud, sneaking in, bar barreling your way through somewhere. I mean, doesn't that technically, shouldn't that void your your claim if you're breaking the law on the way in? Mm. Seems simple enough, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I mean, come on, think about it in any other context, right? I, I'm an American citizen. I was born here. I can't just sneak into Germany and then like... <laughs> you could try. All of a sudden, or yeah, I could try... Uh, and start like demanding the right to vote in German elections. No. Like, are you kidding me? Doesn't happen anywhere that's else. In, that's insane. It doesn't happen even Canada, right? Mm -mm. I mean, Canada, uh, they're pretty hardcore about this stuff, and they have a a more reasonable sort of merit based, points based legal immigration system. Um, it works a lot better than our system here because they actually care. It's like Congress should have a debate: how many people do we want to come here every year? Who should they be? What country should they be from? What skills should they have? And I think the fundamental litmus test on immigration and actually everything else, but just on immigration here is does, you know, does this make life better for the average American? If it does, then that immigrant is probably a good inclusion into our society. And if not, then it's it's not good and we obviously shouldn't do it. No, we definitely shouldn't. But you mean they're not all doctors and lawyers and engineers? <laughs> Even if they are engineers. <laughs> Like, you know, we don't need to necessarily just import like hundreds of thousands more engineers. Like, let's train our own people to be engineers. I yeah. understand why Google and Facebook 
love H-1B visas because it's just corporate welfare for them. Of course, Facebook would rather import 70,000 people from India every year so that they could pay them 80 grand a year, you know, instead of having to pay, uh, you know, someone who's born here, a computer engineer, $110,000. Like, of course, Facebook would want that. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe that's not like good for our country. So maybe we shouldn't do it. I mean, the H-1B visa system is just completely abused. So even if they are lawyers or doctors, yeah. we got plenty of lawyers and doctors here. If we need some more, uh, you know, dentistry schools, medical schools, fine. But we don't just need to import uh, people from all over the world to do jobs that ought to, ought to go to Americans here at home. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little unknown fact uh, in, in the immigration community. Listen, these people come in. Whether it's coming in to, to work in a cubicle and, 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 and be in the tech sector or if they're in the medical field, first thing they're doing when they're trying to get here is have a kid. Because then not only is that visa going to get renewed, they're almost irremovable from the United States. And, and that's just the nature of the business. It's, it's a what little... What do they call it? An- anchor? Anchor something. Anchor something? Yeah. But, uh, you know, and it's one of those things. That's the same thing with all these people. They say anywhere from two to six million people have crossed the border illegally this year, guess what? You can bet your bottom dollar they're all trying to have kids because then when they go before the immigration judge, if they don't like the case that they're presenting, they're going to say, but I have this. I have this right here. It's an, it's an American child. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like that meme from the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> I have a child. Yeah, but, you know, and it's just a really sad thing to say. Blake, next thing I want to touch on with you, you bring uh, equal parts of the business world and the tech world to the table, which probably much to the dismay of some of your counterparts in the field uh, is not something that they'd like to see attached to the America First movement. We think it's amazing, and a lot of people that are – really wanting this country to get safe, think it's, it is, but, but anything from like the censorship going on with big tech all the way up to, you know, some of the, the business stuff going on with China, how do the things that you want to promote for this country kind of tie in to push back on both of those things that are greatly affecting the nation right now? Well, you know, I've worked in tech for a number of years, mm-hmm. um, running Peter Thiel's family office, uh, and investing in startups and I'm very pro tech. I'm, 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 we need new technology. You know, what we don't need is big tech which are the handful of, of stagnant software monopolies, all of them left-wing, you know. At this point, they have so much power. They're more powerful than most governments. Even. Yes. And I, I think, you know, the right way to look at it is innovation happens in smaller companies, in startups, and we actually do need innovation. We need innovations in, in quantum computing and in material science and, you know, in anti-cancer therapeutics and all this stuff. But... Uh, but that's not what we're getting from Facebook and Google and Twitter, these stagnant monopolies that control the flow of information in our society. And look, I mean, you know, we spend so much time talking about the censorship, but we should. It's like really crazy that a handful of companies can just rip President Trump off their so-called platforms. And all of a sudden, you know, he can't as easily speak to the people while he's still president. You know, that's just I, I literally think it should be a crime for them to do that yeah. at that scale. And I think it's pretty easy, again, to write legislation that goes and says, hey, Facebook, hey, Twitter, you're a common carrier. You know, you can draw the line so it doesn't impact small and medium business. I don't want to regulate startups or anything like that. But if you are a communications utility, a platform with, I don't know, more than 50 million people on it, we're going to treat you like the phone company. Yeah. Right. You're not allowed. The phone company can't can't listen into our conversation. And, oh, these guys are talking about, you know, supporting Trump or Steve Bannon um, and and decide that's too hot for us. We're going to disconnect these users service. They're not allowed to do that. And so why on earth wouldn't we treat Facebook 
and Twitter the same. Why wouldn't we hold them to the same standard that we hold the phone company? And it would be one thing if they were actually fair <clears throat> with what they were doing, but it's completely weighted heavily on you know conservatives and people that have a outlier opinion that doesn't go with the mainstream narrative. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just it's not just social media companies. It's not just what we usually think of when we think of big tech. Uh, you know, what about banking? Yeah. Increasingly, you're seeing banks that are, uh, you know, sort of deplatforming people because they're engaged in politics. They get flagged as, you know, a person in politics, a pip or a, uh, I had an operative friend of mine, Republican operative in Arizona who got uh, canceled by Wells Fargo, basically. <laughs> Wells Fargo said, I think it's because this person was outspoken uh, in complaining about the treatment of the January 6th political prisoners. Right. And Wells Fargo said, you know, after reviewing your business activity, you know, we've decided that uh, that it, you know, falls under one of our risk categories and we can't, you know, so they don't have a Wells Fargo account anymore. Like they just got shut off. And if you get the whole, you know, Airbnb, I guess, is now banning Michelle Malkin yep. from like she can't go and use that. Right. We're canceling people <laughs> from participating in like these these basic, you know, they're nominally private, but they're they're kind of core utilities to you know, to be able to participate in modern society. And we're increasingly telling people you can't do that if you're conservative. You can't do that if you're a Republican. And we are just marching ever more towards a Chinese style social credit system. And it doesn't matter if it's public or if it's private. All of this is so intertwined with the government and it all sort of swims left together that we got to get, I think, new leaders in who understand the threat and who can restrain uh, these forces. Otherwise, we're not going to have any individual freedom left in this country in five or six short years. Yeah. If we get to the point where, you know, it's like, I don't want to be the one to have to say, I told you so about a social credit score. I want you to realize that it's coming and we need to fix it before it happens, because once it's already at that point, there's no going back. Oh, totally. And I think the mistake people make is, you know, to put us on a spectrum with China, we think we're like at zero or 10, you know, out of 100. And we're pretty free. And this is America and China's at like 90 or 100 totalitarian mm -hmm. social credit score, you know, full out sort of repression. And. No, if China's at 90 or 100, we're actually at like 60 or 70. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think our society's become remarkably more like China in the last, say, 20 years. Uh, and our, all our policymakers, right, they were asleep at the wheel. They thought the opposite. You know, it was Republicans and Democrats, frankly. It was like bipartisan free trade with China, rising tide lifts all boats. Let's help China industrialize. And, we, and, and they will liberalize and become a Western democracy. It's like, nope, oops, that was totally wrong. Uh, China didn't become more like the United States. The United States became a lot more like China. So we're 60 or 70 percent towards that social credit score. Um, and we got to we got to just reverse course. Yeah, it's very we scary. have to. Yeah, those well, people in China, if they don't have a high enough credit score, they like they can't use like the train, the mm -hmm. travel system and stuff like that. And it's like and then we have things like snuck into the infrastructure bill where, you know, kill switches on cars. Like, yep. where do you think that's going to be? You think there'd be a lot of trucks sitting on the side of the road right now with kill switches right now? Yes, it, it's totally very, very, right. Yeah. Or our own Federal Reserve is looking into a CBDC, central bank digital currency. That's what China wants to do with their their currency is just take it fully, fully digital, have a cashless society. And um, if the central authority can just flip you know, the bit on any dollar, just turn it on or off and everything's perfectly traceable. I mean, these tools of mass surveillance, it's a tyrant's dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the government will always say you need it, you know, and so we saw this with the Patriot Act, right? It's like understandable why that was passed in the beginning. 
you know, we had this horrific terrorist attack on our own soil. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people at the time, you know, right and left, uh, just became totally concerned that this is one day going to be used against us. And I think you've seen that. You've seen that in spades in the last couple of years. It turns into a tool of domestic repression. And it's used to always crush the narrative of the people that are pointing it out as well, big time. Yeah, the, once that once they have that power, they're not going to relinquish it. Right. Blake, totally. we, uh, we did touch on China a little bit. I, I think we can all agree they're the biggest threat to not only democracy worldwide, but to the United States on, on so many different levels when you talk about them. You know, infiltrating our, our our universities, our big businesses. Um, you know, the stuff that they do to their own people, the human rights violations, the death camps, the slave labor, and stuff like that. They're buying up property from everywhere, uh, to from Africa to Australia, all throughout Latin America. You know, trying to get their footing in the world. A lot of people really didn't buy into the whole Russian Ukraine narrative, and it was kind of stymied by a combination of the media and. Russia and Ukraine over the last couple of weeks by saying like, hey, listen, there's some stuff going on, but it's really not that big of a deal. Like, it's probably a big deal on the huge geopolitical, you know, after stuff with Crimea and, and how Russia kind of does this stuff every time a weak administration is in there, a la Obama and the stuff they did there. But at the same time, they're like, listen, you're heating it up like we're going to be marching through the street of Kiev and it's just not happening. Um, and you've seen a lot of the press push back on it as well. National defense wise, we saw some big big red flags with this administration, starting with Afghanistan and going all the way down to, I mean, it's to the point now to where a lot of our, our people who are historical alliances with the United States, they're meeting without us. Right. And, and it's for a reason. How do you weigh in on once you get to the Senate kind of getting to the bottom of a lot of the failures that we've seen over the last 13, 14 months combined with how are we going to make the military strong again? Because they've done a lot of stuff to kind of tear it down between the vaccine mandates, the implementation of woke politics into the trainings and stuff like that, et cetera. Totally. And it's frustrating that we even have to have this problem, right? Mm -hmm. Because like, it's always easier to destroy than to build. And Biden is just, he's just destroying things like the culture in the military. I can't tell you how many guys I have, right active duty and people who frankly have just quit. I just had dinner with a, uh, a special forces guy. Uh, he was an air force, you know, pararescue guy and he, um, for 15 years and he could have stayed in, uh, and just gotten his retirement in five years, but between the sort of mandated COVID shot and, you know, this is a warrior's warrior. This guy deployed, you know, I think with Delta force, uh, in Afghanistan, like many times mm. and he's quitting. And he said, yeah, I didn't like the COVID shot, but like, actually it's just humiliating to have to be forced to sit and listen to like transgender inclusivity briefings and like, you know, talk about his pronouns. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, he's someone who just, it's all about lethality. And that's what the yeah. military is supposed to be about, right? Warheads on foreheads. Can we project lethal force anywhere in the world near instantly and efficiently when given the command? Like that's what the military is supposed to be doing. It's the least appropriate place in the world for woke politics. But, you know, Biden is ideologically obsessed or it's not so much him as the, the sort of left wing blob, yes. you know, that is in charge. And um, and you saw this. You saw this with, uh, you know, I think he's trying to distract from his domestic failures by uh, marching to the to the drumbeat of war with Ukraine. And you saw Ukraine be like, hey, yeah, like you said, we got some problems, but chill out a little bit. It's not quite as bad as your U.S. media is, you know, making it out to be. And. We just have to not get involved in dumb conflicts and focus on the actual, like we're actually in a cold war with China. 
Yeah. You know, and we have certainly been for a while and we got to pray that it doesn't turn to a hot war, but we need to make sure that we win the cold one. And, you know, I think China's not all it's cracked up to be. It's possible to exoticize and romanticize how well things are going over there. Right. I think they're just trying to keep a lid on on their domestic situation. But it's true. They take a long view and they're deadly serious and they're they're smart. They smell blood in the water, mm-hmm. you know, because they see that Joe Biden is just so weak. Yeah. And Trump understood what Reagan knew, which is peace through strength. Right. If Soleimani is messing with your troops, boom, send in a missile, take him out. Sometimes you got to punch a bully in the nose. Right. It's anything but pacifism. But what you don't want to do is get involved in a 20 year land war in no. Syria. No. Or, or care more about the Ukrainian Russian border than our own southern border. Right. And so we just have to get uh, serious again. And it means purging the military of the left wing generals. You know, I'm yes. sure there's a lot of center right or apolitical colonels that we can promote. It means getting rid of the woke stuff. It means getting back to the mission of lethality. It means uh, not going to war in Ukraine. And getting serious about how do we win this Cold War with China and make sure it doesn't turn into a hot war. Yeah, that's a, some really good points there and definitely some things, some steps we could start taking to help make the military great again. Blake, last thing I want to touch on you with, I think it's really important, other than all of your you know, campaign platform items, which are just amazing, I suggest everybody, we're going to live link his social medias in our show description. You get over, not only check out what he's all about, but continue to support him. And it's about supporting this America First movement that's going on. We're seeing a a crop of candidates like we maybe never have seen on a wide scale like ever before. Uh, You talk about how diverse and, you know, coming from different parts of every single sector of like what makes America just uh, the best place in the world to live. You with your with your tech and and business, you have people like Joe Kent up in Washington. He's, uh, you know, a former operator, CIA as well. Mike Collins, who's. You know, a small business owner who's who's done international trucking, Anthony Sabatini, who's probably one of the most based of, of, <laughs> of all the candidates out there. And, and he's coming from local politics, but he gets it. He's a veteran. He's got a family and he knows what's at stake here. And I could just keep on, you know, Robbie Starbuck over in Tennessee has walked away from, you know, Hollywood and, and the, the major music industry to openly support Trump, America First politics, and now is in it to win it. What can you say about this incoming class right now uh, that just makes it so much more special and, and tie that into how important this midterm election is for this country? Yeah, I mean, I do think we're seeing the beginnings of real change here. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Trump in 2016, by winning, uh, he saved the country. I think the America First platform that he, you know, basically uh, ran on was it's what we needed in 2016 is what we needed in 2020 you know and didn't didn't quite get it and now you see the disaster um is what we need in 2022 and i'm just so heartened by seeing yeah all these all these candidates you mentioned like i think they're all great and we can actually get in and and change things if we build a cadre right the left is really good at this they they take a longer view um usually republicans are just playing defense and Sometimes you got to play some defense, but if you only play defense, ultimately you lose, right? right? It's like, what's your affirmative agenda? What's your vision? And now we've got this new generation of leaders that's that's trying to get in that's saying like, yeah, it's not even right versus left anymore. So much as like pro-America versus, you know, globalist, <laughs> internationalist, it should be ashamed of America, right? Yeah, that's yeah, what disturbing. the modern progressive left stands for. It's ruining the country. And you got to get this new generation of bold leadership in to go and, and, and you know, help put into effect everything that President Trump got started. And, you know, keep the seat warm for him for hopefully a uh, 2024 Absolutely. announcement yeah. coming soon. 
Well, Blake, it's been awesome sitting uh, down with you today and getting to really know some of the things that are important to you on your campaign. Uh, we want our listening audience to get out there and support you as much as we can, everything from sharing social medias to donating directly to your campaign via the website. Can you tell us our socials uh, or your socials real quick so we could live link it in the show description today? Absolutely. You can head to blakemasters.com is my website. Uh, on Twitter, I'm bgmasters and also bgmasters on Gitter for when they kick me off Twitter. Which will probably be soon for all of us. We're on our sixth account right now, and just <laughs> I don't like to say yes. building back better, but we're building back moderately. Go big or go home. There you go. This is the there man that's looking to uh, run for the U.S. Senate out of the state of Arizona, and we'll look forward to having him back at some point in the future, Mr. Blake Masters. Thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Sounds great. Anytime. Take care, gang. Well, it's good having Blake finally on the show, and uh, I think when you take that equation that makes up his campaign, which is you know, parts, big tech, parts, big business, and then those America first values. He is definitely a threat to all of our friends like, uh, you know, Mark Lizardberg. Lizardberg. Et cetera. And, you know, one of the things that has been pretty prominent in the news lately is that big tech censorship is really ramping up the cancel culture mob, those purple-haired Jabba the Huts that Nick was referencing on last week's show. <laughs> And it seems like right now they're coming for the bigs. Uh, Joe Rogan in the podcasting community with nearly 12 million people per episode listening to his or watching his shows. And then Tucker Carlson, um, who is getting, you know, anywhere between three and a half to over four million viewers per night. That's uh, not chump change. Uh, yeah, over there on Fox News. So I, I think that, you know, those two people... And you you can have whatever take you have on them. Mm -hmm. They're paid up. They have, you know, we've always told you guys. It's a little bit less with Joe Rogan, but people like Tucker Carlson, at the end of the day, he's got a boss. Yeah. And there's probably things that he's just 100% restricted from saying. I mean, I don't know how that whole um, dynamic works, but I'm pretty sure there's some no-goes for him, even though he, he's been pretty base lately and calling out a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, maybe they tell me he's got to take, like, a comedic spin on it or something. I'm not too sure, but... Well, and that's why Joe Rogan is so dangerous to him because he basically has no boss. Like, yeah. He makes so much money that he barely has to care. The thing is that with Joe Rogan is that he kind of bended the knee a little bit over the weekend. And, well, yeah, but in his apology, first thing he did. Yeah, in my opinion. that's just because he wants people to like him more than anything. I think. Yeah, and you well, can't want the headache either, you know, because it's like he's trying to stop the fuel, you know, I mean the fire and. Can't have too big of a headache because Rumble said that they'll pay him $100 million over four years if Spotify fires him. You think he's going to leave? He's gonna pick oh, wow, it up. really? I didn't know that. You know, at the end of the day, people are going to watch him wherever he goes. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't generally use Spotify, but I listen to Joe Rogan occasionally. And, you know, I would go on where I used to listen to him. Mm -hmm. I'd put his, type his name in like an idiot and be like, oh, that's right. He's on Spotify only now. Right. And then I'd, if I hadn't downloaded it already, there's your download, Spotify. Congratulations. Yeah. So it's one of those things where... Because uh, I'm not a serial killer. There you go. We saw Donald Trump weigh in this morning. And uh, he put out a statement via Liz Harrington that reads, Joe Rogan is an interesting and popular guy, but he's got to stop apologizing to the fake news and radical left maniacs and lunatics. Yep. How many ways can you say you're sorry? Joe, just go about what you do so well and don't let them make you look weak and frightened. That's not you, and it'll never be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretty solid. Yeah. Not wrong. 
No. Bannon and, uh, you know, in that segment with Gates that we played before Blake Masters came on, they, they talked about some other things. And, you know, over the last year you've seen Steve and, and Tucker Carlson kind of make amends with each other. And part of the reason is, is because, you know, some of the stuff that the legacy media really didn't take seriously maybe a year or two ago has, has come to be true. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, the – you know, the relationship between Bannon and Tucker Carlson is probably one of just respect base. I don't really see them vacationing with their families together. <laughs> um, but Gates kind of weighed in on this Tucker Carlson stuff. So let, let's hear what they uh, were talking about in regards to this one. Okay, real quickly, does Tucker Carlson, what is going on with this thing? Big moment this last okay. week behind closed doors, Congressman Jim Cooper gaslights the intelligence community to dig up dirt on Tucker Carlson because they don't like the fact that he is speaking against war in Ukraine. Here's why this is important. In, in the vast sea of headwinds that we face, whether it's big tech, big government, big media, the national security apparatus, we have these few nodes of communication, these outposts, whether it's the war room, Tucker's show, uh, National Pulse, Revolver, right. and we see a constant pattern of folks using the national security apparatus to shut down our effort to get our argument before the people. Mm -hmm. In the Ukraine hoax, we saw all kind of information that targeted Sean Hannity because Hannity was yes. you know, texting with Paul Manafort Boomer and sweats. they acted like that Activate. was some great criminal <laughs> conspiracy. It was nothing, it was bupkis, but it was done to smear Sean Hannity while he was getting the truth out. Now that Tucker Carlson is speaking against this war in Ukraine, uh, he's been targeted, he was also targeted by the NSA. And not for nothing, Steve, but you know, the war room gets its fair share of attention from the national security apparatus and, as well. And, and, so mm -hmm. does, and so does Matt Gates. Uh, this it shouldn't be lost on anybody. That the buried lead of all this, the Cooper does this in the same week that the polling comes out, the analysis comes out from Nielsen and other and shows that Tucker's winning the demographic among young Democrats. Yep. Tucker Carlson is being watched by as many young Democrats as the shows on MSNBC in the demographic. Wow. And that's why one of the reasons they got to take him down and blow that's him up. That's pretty cool, actually. And, yeah. and the fact that a member of Congress behind closed doors would ask this question then serves as a jumping off point for them to go and engage in intelligence collection and say, well, there were members of Congress who had questions. You know what? If there's a member of Congress who thinks that Tucker Carlson is a Russian agent, let them make that appeal publicly. And then let's go and have the debate in front of the American people. But this behind closed doors effort to gaslight, target, smear, and destroy is straight out of the Adam Schiff playbook, and we should call it out every time we see it. Okay. Mm. Yeah. A lot of truth in that. Um, it seems, you know, like he said, asking behind closed doors, should we start to look into whether or not Tucker Carlson is an agent of Russia rather than publicly... I think this agent of Russia shit I know. is so... Fucking oh, tired. Yeah. Yeah. It's so played out, man. I just want to say, can somebody accuse us of being agents of Russia? I'm sure they do. Like, in, <laughs> <laughs> like their go to. Yeah. It's just no it's, English. It's become really embarrassing. Um, Tucker Carlson parlayed that into his show that night. Nice. And, and did a piece on that, um, talking about Representative Jim Cooper and some of those questions. It, it was pretty good. You know, he can shit on some people only the way that he knows how to do. Days ago, during a closed-door briefing in Congress on Russia, Jim Cooper of Tennessee, a Democrat, asked an intelligence briefer to find out if this show is tied to Russia. 
We're not tied to Russia, of course. It's a cable television program. We're not a diplomatic mission. Jim Cooper, needless to say, knows that. But that's not the point. The point is we've criticized the Biden administration's Ukraine policy. So in retaliation for that, Jim Cooper has asked the intel agencies to dig up dirt on us. Nice. To be clear, that's not allowed. It's illegal. It is illegal to use the U.S. government to settle partisan scores or to silence opposition journalists. It is also, by the way, illegal to secretly monitor their electronic communications. But Joe Biden's NSA did that to this show this summer. That happened. We're not speculating about it. The NSA admitted it. And Congressman Cooper admitted what he did today when we asked him, though he was too cowardly to come on the show tonight to explain how he could justify that. <laughs> this is scary behavior. It's also revealing. After a full year of governing, all the Biden administration can muster when challenged are ad hominem attacks yep. and more spying from the intel agencies. Let's put the intel agencies on them. What they can't do is explain themselves. They don't even try. That's not a sign of strength. It's a sign of rot. It's a sign of weakness. <laughs> and yet they're doing it and they're getting away with it. How are they getting away with it? Very simple. They're getting away with it because Republicans are allowing them to get away with it. True story. I mean, it's, it's one thing for Matt Gates to go on War Room and, and kind of let his listenership hear about the stuff that's going on. But, you know, because of the, the way the numbers are right now in both the House and the Senate, it's really hard to, you know, get any kind of real oversight or investigations going. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and he talked about those ad hominem attacks from the administration who just try to crush it when uh, challenged on some of the stupid shit they do. And it, it really takes, uh, you know, probably the best crusher of that narrative to go out there and, and kind of try to put it to bed, and that's Jen Psaki. Oh, she's so good at crushing nothing. Well, don't worry. Tucker wasn't done. After he was uh, finished giving Jim Cooper a little bit of the belt to the backside, he segued right into a segment that included uh, following up with Jen Psaki because she tried to shut that whole narrative down. I watch the White House press briefings with Jen Psaki, and we sympathize with you if you don't. You may have missed us. We played it before because it was really one of the amazing moments in American politics. None of people noticed it. Jen Psaki, from the podium in the White House briefing room the other day, called on Joe Rogan's boss, Spotify, to censor Joe Rogan. Mm -hmm. Here's what she said. This disclaimer, it's a positive step, but we want every platform to continue doing more to call out and mis and disinformation while also uplifting accurate information. But ultimately, uh, you know, our view is it's a, it's, a, it's a good step, it's a positive step, but there's more that can be done. So what the apologists have told us for the past four years, as we point out censorship after censorship after censorship, book burning, it's all totally fine because the government's not doing it. This has been National Review's position for five years. So oh. it's not the government. Then That's really, awkward. says David mm. French, the First Amendment doesn't apply. But here you have the government, the president's own spokes chick, demanding <laughs> censorship <laughs> and then the company obeying. Spotify has removed 70 episodes of Joe Rogan's show. It's now over 100. So this seems like a crime, actually. But what do we know? We're not lawyers. Glenn Gray So over 100 episodes? That's yeah. Drop the end bomb in a hundred episodes, or just you know stuff they didn't like. I'm, well, assuming, I'm assuming they got rid of the COVID episodes. No, not the COVID ones. It was the N word ones, the Planet of the Apes ones. They they, they had you know um, what is that one called? Is it Patriot Takes? 
So people did some digging over the weekend, and they gone back to some of like the, the most consequential hit pieces that have come out lately on predominantly conservative people. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't really consider Joe Rogan a conservative. I would call him probably purple because I think he brings yeah. everybody in and he'll ask them questions and kind of just want to absorb everything that's going on, whether it's, you know, a, a liberal person or, or a conservative person, a doctor or, um, you know, anything, a, a fighter, nutritionist, yeah. or whatever the people he has on his shows. So I think, I, I think he kind of tries to stay in the purple, but it's the audience that listens to him the fight community and then a lot of the Patriots now that his, uh, his programming has shifted a little bit. Long story short, at the end of the day, Joe Rogan and Tucker Carlson are getting into 15 plus million ears on a daily basis. And that's before any kind of social media shares. Yeah. Yeah. That's before word of mouth. That's before, you know, people carpooling, like you're not even taking into consideration, like people in the car for several hours, you know, that's, that's, not just one hit, that's a two, but it's not recordable. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of stuff that Joe Rogan's done lately has gone extremely viral, whether it's the McCullough, the Malone, if it's an Alex Jones episode or anybody he, he has on, in addition to the hit pieces. But anyways, this uh, Patriot Takes account, apparently, like, there's three people in there. They're kind of like the bigs who run that account. It's a very large account. It's got, I believe, half a million followers on Twitter. And three of the people that kind of manage this account have gone out and coordinated these hit pieces on the Joe Rogans, the Tucker Carlsons. Um, Are these guys independent fact checkers on their second job? They're like the template for the Wojak meme. Yeah. So (laughs) in real life. And and it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you, you have to really take into consideration what is the big thing here. You're talking about the two most prominent voices in what people are considering legitimate information right now, whether it's Joe Rogan speaking or the guests he has on or Tucker Carlson's narrative or the people that he's bringing on to support that. And they're trying to crush them as, you know, the red wave season is, is really starting to pick up steam. I don't know. What do you, uh, I mean, that's what you hate this whole censorship thing. And, and, and you always, you know, have a bunch to say on it. What do you, do you, do you kind of think that that's the angle that they're taking right now? Like, either scatter the base for both of these guys or make it seem like it's almost taboo to be a supporter of like people like Joe Rogan. I mean, Tucker Carlson is going to be, it's going to be taboo. That has to be it. Yeah. I mean, this is, that's all they can do now. They realize that these guys, these two guys have so much power and influence, like a big voice. I mean, it, it's kind of like expected for them to do this. At some point I knew that they would start coming after Rogan the more he talked and well, spoke it's, out. It's, you know, you have to facilitate the dog pile from happening. Like you have to get everybody fired up, everybody right. targeting him, whether they even know anything about it or not. Like take, you know, take the rock, like the rock is with friends with him and just like totally went out and like, Oh yeah, no, I was, I was wrong. Disregard. He's a retard. Completely flipped. Yeah. And I mean, Honestly, I think The Rock is controlled and his like the higher ups, whoever handles him, mm-hmm. told him that, you know, and they're they're going to hit these guys from every direction as much as they can. Yeah, but, they're hitting the people who are high up in their wallets and be like, you know what, you're going to you're going to get canceled if you don't go along with this. Right. It's going to ruin but your, ruin your career. It only makes people want to listen more to these guys. Oh, yeah. People are seeking it out now. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely seeking it out. And then I, I think a lot of people forget some of the things Joe Rogan has weighed in. I'm going to play this in our last piece in this big tech censorship thing. You guys give it a listen. For me, when I was working, I had my headphones on and uh, I said, hey, how you doing, man? Nice to meet you. I shook his hand. 
and uh, got a video of it. It's kind of <laughs> hilarious. Uh, he's like, you do a tremendous job, amazing job, good job. And then he said to Daniel Cormier, who was next to me, who was a former light heavyweight champion and the former heavyweight champion, he goes, I do not want to fight this guy. I do not want to fight this guy. <laughs> this guy was <laughs> president. I should have got a selfie with him. Fuck! Yeah, you should have. Missed opportunity. What are you going to do? It was weird. It was very weird. When he walked in, though, I'm telling you, man, they, they cheered the fuck out of him. You know who he's talking about, right? Yeah, uh, Trump. Like you know what? Trump. I think he secretly is like, he's a fan of Trump, you know? I think Joe is more liberal than conservative, but I think he's like a sensible, you know, purple. I don't even guy. know if it counts as him being more liberal than cons- conservative, but I think he's a free thinker and he's one of the most genuine free thinkers. And I also think that this is something that really hasn't affected him. I mean, a lot of people have considered him yeah. like. Until they painted him gray and shit on him about taking horse he's, uh, he's had some really big stuff happen to him this year everything from that cnn stuff all the way up to i mean listen you type in joe rogan right now unfortunately the first thing that comes up on twitter and instagram is two minute montages of the n-word stuff and yeah. out of context too it's extremely is, out of context yeah. because he's never used it in a derogatory way you've had so many people you know like the hodge twins zuby a lot of conservative african-american people have just come out and said flat out no mm-hmm. he's not racist does he do Don't is give it, a shit. Yeah, is it stupid of course it is. Um, even when you're trying to get a point across, there are so many other ways to articulate than repeating the word. Right. I mean, play an audio clip. Use it uh, in, in something that's like uh, shortened, but, you know, just to continuously over the years have, have referenced it, it, it he kind of set him up for it. But at the same time, it, he is not what they say he is. He's not a racist person. No. His and, stepdaughter is, is biracial. She's black, yep. half black. I mean, this is ridiculous to even say, you know, that he's racist. This is all it can do and say to try to hurt him and his credibility. Well, it's that's the we said this a hundred times. That is the formula. Two plus two is always four. You don't agree with me. You're racist. You don't agree with me. If that doesn't work, you're misogynist. If you don't agree with me and that doesn't work, just keep going down the line. Checkbox everything off. You're transphobic. I don't even know what's next. Like you don't like gay frogs, like whatever. <laughs> yeah, you're you're not joking, and it's one of those things where you really have to take into consideration what the plan is, and it's to remove their voices from their platforms so they can't bring all of these people in. You you hear those stats on Tucker Carlson? He's winning the demographic of purple voters, not purple haired voters. <laughs> purple voters and, and Democrat voters are listening to Tucker Carlson more than they're listening to any of the other legacy evening shows combined that's that's fucking giant yes and uh you know at the end of the day whether you like tucker carlson or not a lot of his narrative that he puts out there is true still not letting him slide for what he did to Sidney powell that'll Mm -hmm. never that'll never we'll never let that one go but at the the end of the day i would say much like covid which we're going to talk about next he's 99.97 percent truthful yeah and and usually in the right and and right over the target so it's one of those things that we're going to have to keep uh you know an eye on I hope neither one of them. Tucker Carlson's definitely not going to give in. I mean, he literally out. He said, "Bring it, NSA," in his little, you know, monologue there. But I, I hope a, Joe Rogan. A dangerous challenge. Yeah, I hope Joe Rogan doesn't doesn't give into this. You know, the the owner of Spotify said they're not going to remove them from the platform. Yeah, um, why, why the fuck would they? I don't know. You can never bad, tell. You can never tell business. with those Swedes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things where, what can you do? Obviously, then, uh, you know, he's already done what he's done. He's pulled back some episodes. He's put out a really awkward 
seemingly forced apology. Now just move on. You know, rub yourself up in the CBD oils like you always do, a couple bong rips, <laughs> get a guest on whose girlfriend has an OnlyFan, and then make fun of him in the middle of the show when he denies it and pull it up for the audience to see, and then just move on. What's the, uh, what is never the, been like, have you ever tried DMT? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> d- if Donald Trump's talking about him, it, it moves it closer to Donald Trump eventually getting on that show, have which, you, which people have been calling for since 2015. Insane. Have yeah. you ever said, have you ever tried saying the N word with on DMT? <laughs> they had the Danny DeVito one where, uh, you know, it's like all podcasters, like no podcasters anywhere. And then it's like. Danny DeVito grabbing the microphone from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And it's like, I'm going to say the N-word! <laughs> but, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll just continue to track it, and hopefully that Joe Rogan should know better. I mean, he, I wouldn't say he's untouchable, but essentially he's an untouchable. Yeah, and his, his apology, funny, you know? like, his apology was just him doing what he thought to how he had to do in to be tasteful. Yeah? Yeah, probably. So I still don't like it, but it's like you see the other UFC fighters, for example, because he's in that world. Oh, yeah. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And I forgot who it was, but this this one was like, I don't give a fuck. You can't cancel me because I don't give a shit. Like, yeah, say and do whatever you want. But I'm uncancelable, cancelable because <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. And I just she had that that mentality because I think he'd I think it would have been so much better. People would have respected him a lot more. Big know? time. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll just continue to play it by ear and see where we go from there. Well, unfortunately, we still have to cover a little bit of COVID. <laughs> Even though it's for the most part going away. Yeah. Uh, both figuratively and literally. We've seen some stuff, some revelations over the last week or so. A couple of the larger, more progressive and lockdown states in the country. Oh, I thought you were going to say something about Stacey Abrams. Mm, we'll get there in a minute. <laughs> She's actually part of this, believe it or not. Oof. Yeah. All 573 pounds of her um, are easing their restrictions on masks and remote working and learning and, and school stuff, which is interesting to see. Not so much if you're a follower of this show or the America First Movement, where we've been saying for a while, at some point, this will become more beat and tired than it has been over the last two years in an attempt to save face, even if it's just for one House seat. Or one Senate, one senator in the midterm elections uh, will push back on this narrative and probably eventually find a way to tie it back to Donald Trump in a negative fashion. Oh, of course. Before we get there, but uh, our good friends over at CNN, quick reminder that more people probably listen to this show over the course of a week than watch any of their evening programming. They're now down ninety-one percent viewership. Ninety-one. Ninety-one percent from last Like I said, wait, so 40% of their viewership has gone over to Tucker Carlson between Democrats and independents. So it's like them downloading their own episodes. Yes. (laughs) Remember how Nick used to say, like, download it on your phone. Tell your family members to download it. If you've got kids, go on their phone and download it. That's what they're doing right now. Buy some extra burner phones, download the episodes. There you go. Let's hear what they had to say about the uh, news network that brought us the Deathometer. Start, uh, you say we can start removing at least some coronavirus restrictions now. Uh, tell us why. Oh, 
Well, I agree with Colorado, with many other local and state jurisdictions that are beginning to lift government mandates. And I think this is the key. I'm not saying that we should be stopping masking, but rather that this needs to shift from a government requirement to an individual decision. The government can't keep on telling our citizens that this is a five alarm fire all the time. People are just going to start tuning it out and not pay attention. They'll be desensitized. And so what needs to happen is we need to end the state of emergency Mm. and preserve the ability of public health authorities to reinstitute mandates in the future if we see more more dangerous variants later. Yeah, right. Right, so you know, you're pretty good with the crisis actors. You remember her? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> good old Dr. Wen. Mm-hmm. I guess when they got tired of uh, Fauci and, and Walensky, they rolled her out to do the uh, the local yep. circuit mm-hmm. on, on the Mon- Sunday morning monologue. shows. She talks so strange, too. Yes. Yeah, like, she certainly does. Um, well, Jen Saki weighed in on some of those comments that she made over the weekend, especially regarding schools when she was pressed by the, uh, the media here. Let's hear her response. Clarify, I know you've talked about this a little bit already. Uh, do you think that at some point in the future, even if that point isn't now, it would be appropriate for there to be updated federal guidelines just to avoid confusion? I think the administration has been clear that on other issues there are sort of messaging issues that could have been a little bit more uh, clear coming from the administration. So hmm. on this issue, <laughs> clear. do you think that that might be appropriate? Well, the guidance is very clear, which Wait, is what? that we recommend oh, huh? uh, masking in schools. Uh, that is the recommendation from the CDC. Yeah. It is also true that at some point when the science and the data warrants, of course, our, our hope is that that's no longer the recommendation. Uh, and they are continually assessing that. But the guidance is very clear. Oh. It is also mm-hmm. true that it has always been up to local school districts to make determinations about how to implement these policies. Also false, because they were federally mandated for quite some time when kids went how back about new? from remote learning. Yeah. There it is. So what do you think about that? They don't have they don't have the mandates at your school. Do they answer that for your kid? No, but the she goes to a private school. So what they say is like, you know, just keep it around your chin just in case like the health inspector comes in and whatnot. But they the teachers in her school for the most part, she goes to a Catholic private school. That sounds like everywhere. Yeah. Everybody yeah, don't give like, a shit. Yeah. Everybody like you'll see people wearing their mask out on the street at the bus stop, walking around with their nose out. <clears throat> and if anybody knows, right. No pun intended. <laughs> you're not breathing through your mouth ninety percent of the time unless you're some of the mouth breathing idiots that we <sighs> deal with on a general uh you know right. daily basis. But you're just doing it just to be on board. Like, just take it off. Like, if you're just going to wander around wearing it just to have, if you're not at work and that's like the thing to make you wear it, I mean, you're wearing it on your free time walking outside. You're a fucking retard. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's maybe. ridiculous at this point. So I might have to backtrack. They might actually be breathing through their mouths. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> we sure won't. Well, yeah. But the, the only thing is, like, her school, for example, they don't they just don't want to get fined yeah otherwise they won't they wouldn't even care or do it at all whatsoever it's just ridiculous but you gotta pick and choose your battles no you certainly do i mean my kids have a a mask mandated at at their schools but uh you know we've seen over the course i think the i saw it on maybe one of the news the legacy news channels i was watching the other day so new york colorado New Jersey, Connecticut, and a couple others. California, 
they all have either ended or set dates to end based off the last extension. There. I thought uh, Los Angeles, though, is going to stay. Well, I mean, I guess it's going to be up to individual. You know, what, what they're trying to do is I think they're talking about like a federal level. Oh, got it. So, okay. yeah, it's one of those things. Oh, here it is. Connecticut, New Jersey, Delaware, California, Colorado. End or set timelines for the end of school or statewide indoor mask mandates. And that's how they're kind of rolling that back. So everybody um, forgets about it, you know, before yeah. the midterm elections, how, how, what they did to us and, and what they've done to our continue to do to our children. I think uh, Canada just removed or, or removing the mandates for testing shots and the mask Hong this Kong. month. So we already mentioned her once and the uh, undefeated undisputed champion of golden corral, Stacey <laughs> Abrams. Uh, appeared at a local school event last week outside of the Atlanta area where she participated in a uh, book reading for small children and kids who were uh, learning distantly via Zoom. Um, They did some photos afterwards, and Stacey Abrams Handler and Stacey Abrams both posed for pictures, maskless, while the entirety of everyone else was there. Had to wear masks. Well, I mean, in her defense, if she wore a mask, she might very well pass out <laughs> or choke to death. It definitely was symbolic in the sense. On her neck. There you go. Like, yeah. We're going to need a bigger mask. <laughs> um, of elitist. what? Yeah, the elitist rules for thee, not for me, and all that other stuff. It's disgusting that the parents, like, like I wouldn't even let my kid go to that, <laughs> that book reading. Well, surprisingly enough, the bitches on the Zoom, or I'm sorry, the view weighed in <laughs> literally and figuratively on big stace. And yeah, uh, let me let's, guess. Let's hear that. Positive or negative? They tore apart. And I think it was really hypocritical, actually. First, her statement. Hippo? First of all, this has nothing to do with Black History Month. Hungry, hungry. It, it's the, the point is that she was not wearing a mask when she is one of those proponents of mask mandates. And she said, I think, um, in her statement, her, her people said that uh, she asked to, uh, she removed it. She wore, I'm sorry, she wore a mask to the school, but later removed it so she could be heard by students watching remotely and for the photos on the condition that everyone around her was wearing masks. Yeah, she should have worn a mask. You know, and That's happened, a lame excuse. Yeah. This happened the same week that, uh, that Eric Garcetti got yep. caught taking pictures without a mask at SoFi Stadium in L.A. He was posing with Magic Johnson and other celebrities. Right. He claims that he holds his breath That's when so he ridiculous. takes... That's so ridiculous. That's favorite excuse. And, you know, and, and also That's comes, funny. We're seeing what's happening... Was <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he not inhale? How Get long? That. How long? For like 20 minutes? I know. <laughs> Even Esther Williams couldn't do that underwater. They better, get, they better take that shot in one, in one <laughs> click. And you're seeing what's happening in London <sighs> yeah. where uh, Boris Johnson is getting break through the coals yep. for having held a party at Downing yeah. Street Parties. when there was uh, all sorts of measures all over the country. And so I think people really resent this idea of rules for thee, but not for, for rules, yeah. you know, for me, but yeah, not but for is No, oh, there it is. The lovely ladies. I'm surprised, you know. So lovely. The, the view. Yeah. Said My, that. I minus mean. the uh, most racist of them all, Whoopi, who's currently yeah. sell, serving a 12-game suspension for denying the holocaust happened and that Wait, and I, I, I don't know if she denied that. it happened she just said it wasn't racial 
<laughs> so okay. she just said the whole premise of the Holocaust wasn't the premise of the Holocaust. So if you take that, if you take that element out of it, did it essentially happen? No, I guess you're right. Yeah. It's funny because she she changed her last name to sound more Jewish to get ahead in the industry. And she married a Jewish guy, I believe, right? She did. Yeah. So it's just it's hilarious. You know who else is often hilarious, especially when we're talking about COVID, is uh, Big Dick Ron DeSantis. Oh. Of course, you know, when this whole narrative that he's been harping on for the last year and a half to two years at least, saying that these mandates are never going to happen. And he's going to do everything in his power to stop them in Florida um, are finally going away, especially in some of the most radical progressive places like Connecticut, New Jersey, California, et cetera. He weighed in on uh, some of these politicians and uh, just how he feels about them and how they've acted over the course of the pandemic. Big city mayors. And I'll tell you, and anchor some of these uh, uh, leftist TV hosts who constantly criticize Florida, mandate masks, lockdown, all this stuff. Then they end up on the beach somewhere in South Florida. I'll tell you, one of the things I'm proud, though, is like our Floridians, they give these people hell when they see them down here because they're they're proud of our freedom and they know these people have been bad mouthing that the cherry on the Sunday was when you had over New Year's, you had AOC coming down, criticizing Florida, then comes down. So we decided to make uh, kind of a, a little joke about it. So we created T-shirts that said, Escape to Florida, the Lockdown Liberal Tour. And instead of having <laughs> nice. concert dates on the back, we had Governor Whitmer, March of 2021, AOC, and the dates they were all in Florida. It's pretty based. And we sold more outside the state than we sold here because people realize how hypocritical these people are. That's awesome. People from the I state. I want one of those. Yeah, I kind of want one, too. We're going to yeah. have to go to uh, Florida.gov and see if we can't score ourselves. We can hang one up in the studio. <laughs> but all while this is going on today, um, I was getting ready to leave. I'd already put the show together, and I saw my least favorite union boss, Randy Weingarten, on MSNBC. And, uh, you know, she was talking about these mask mandates and... Uh, Based off all the stuff we just played and gave commentary on, you're now going to hear her say something which is just contrary to that and the science. McBride just told us about masks not particularly being effective for children. What's the argument against taking off masks in schools? Well, the argument is that you have, well, let me just say this. I am in favor of an off-ramp on masks. Right. The real issue becomes... It's an off-ramp now, Noah. Is is the spread low enough so that there's no dissemination or transmission in schools? And it's not the teachers transmitting to kids. Oh, it's the kids. Um, Of course. It's more kids and kids, particularly in elementary schools right now. And so the question really becomes... Do we have, that's why I like what Massachusetts has done, because what they've said is that on a school-by-school basis, they said if there's 80% vaccination rates, then those schools can lift the mandates. Fucking ghoul. Disgusting. Makes me sick. Makes me sick. Like my son's school, he he goes to Montessori, he's three and a half. Okay. They, They would never even think about putting the masks on the children, even the older ones at the school. And I was so happy to find to find this place because it's everywhere else is, is r- ridiculous. My son is three and a half. He's not going to keep a mask on. He no. won't even wear a hat. <laughs> well, are, they, are they actually citing any data 
regarding this, or are they just making this up? Well, the whole <clears throat> off-ramping of the COVID mandates stemmed from a nearly 70% decrease in everything due to COVID. Yeah. Infections, transmissions, hospitalizations, and deaths over the last two weeks, which means that Ligmacron was what we said it was. It was going to be the end-all strain to at least the original coronavirus, you know, from 2019. Yeah. It, it had mutated so far that it, it basically had humped its way into being the flu and then gave us all basically a super flu. Um, but you know who's probably done with this a little bit more than the three of us? Noah's favorite paid op, Bill Maher. And he brought some charts this week. Just said how fucking absolutely ridiculous this whole narrative is. Like, we're ending, but we're not ending. We want to roll back the mandates, but still have the power to reinitiate them. You can't not like where he's going, though. No one's going to wear masks in school unless your school wants you to. You know, he's just, he wants to get back to having sex with this pool boy. A growing list of countries have done and announced we're going back to something more like normal. Beginning with recognizing that what we're doing to kids is unnecessary and horrible, and I don't even like kids. (laughs) (laughs) Antoinette, you'll beg to differ, right? Making kids who have a COVID survivability rate of 99.98% mask up like bandits. Unfortunately, the thing that's getting stolen is their education, their Mm -hmm. sanity, and their social skills. A study this week from a professor at Johns Hopkins concluded that the lockdowns we all suffered through had little impact in reducing COVID deaths. Okay, that's kind of a big one to get wrong. (laughs) Last July, President Biden said, you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Well, I already knew that was wrong then, and now we all do. The former director of the CDC, Robert Redfield, believes COVID originated in a lab and... Now, our intelligence agencies agree it might have. But for months on social media, it was banned to even discuss it. Look, I'm not saying the medical establishment isn't trying to figure shit out or that they're corrupt, although there is some of that. (laughs) But... (laughs) But how about just wrong? Wrong a lot. Wrong about HIV, wrong about lockdowns, wrong about kids, wrong about how you couldn't get it if you were vaccinated. Remember washing our packages? No. And there's never been any research showing that outdoor transmission is likely or common, yet L.A. County says we're still supposed to mask up for big outdoor events, like we'll be at the Super Bowl. Well, pulls up the picture of everybody maskless, taking photos of Magic Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. It's all theater, watching athletes mix it up on the court and then mask on the sideline, not being able to touch a menu, but watching them touch my food. (laughs) Maskless at dinner while sitting but not standing. And by the way, if Applebee's really cared about our health, they would make us cover our mouths after the food arrived. (laughs) (laughs) This is egregious. I'm just asking, how much wrong do you get to be while still holding the default setting for people who represent the science? So, and then he ends with the, this is your brain on drugs, eggs, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So we all know that he was definitely talking only about Fauci. Oh, yeah. 
So yeah. he, he, he had made some references to some broader aspects of, of lockdowns and mandates that happens, but... And it really focused in. He was talking on the, about <laughs> yeah. the gatekeeper and, and his displeasure with him. So... Right. I think it was really... I mean, I don't like Bill Maher at all. You at know, all. But it was pretty funny that his speech or his uh, monologue writer had him like had him say that he doesn't really like kids we all know that's not true exactly (laughs) but you know let's say if it was that wasn't the case he is the type of person that wouldn't like children like dealing with children you know like his that mentality but um yeah no this is really good for the normies you know Uh, i don't really like him either but i love that he is being so outspoken about this because when every person on their fucking team that revolts against the narrative is a fucking win because exactly. it, cra- it cracks the shell on everybody else's freaking gray fucking moldy brain that they're just living in this fucking bucket of filth, just believing everything. Yeah. And they see that it's crumbling. The narrative's crumbling and these people are going to be in really deep shit at some point. So they don't want to even be aligned with them in any way, shape or form. It's like, you know, it's almost like, um, like shielding themselves and getting ahead. Yes. Yeah, it certainly is, and it's one of those things where, you know, we just have to try and ride this out. At the end of the day, a lot of the things that we've talked about on this show for the last close to two years now is getting disseminated through creepy fucking weirdos like Bill Maher to a whole bunch of normies through his show. And uh, all we can do is appreciate that. Maybe he'll uh, bring in some of his listenership or his viewership over to Steak for Breakfast eventually because... You know, if somebody brings that up in a conversation with a person that they usually don't have conversations like that because they've heard it on Bill Maher, they'll be like, hey, there's this there's this show, you know, and they, and they kind of talk about it. So, listen, everybody's got a grift, and I think ours is getting the information out to as many people as possible. Yeah. Um, and I think at the end of the day, that's that's goal number one. Rounded third now, handed home. Post-COVID, blinkers on, off-ramps in sight. You can't put your blinker on because then they're going to know what you're doing. Damn it. <laughs> So, I don't know if you guys heard, CNN's here to stay. Oh, they're, ne- they're never going away? Not going anywhere. They're going to have one listener, and it's going to be Brian Stelter. Oh, guess what? <laughs> First clips from him. Ah, fuck that guy. Here we go. Not led only by Dove Zucker. CNN is so much bigger than any single individual. It is about teams and teams of people, thousands of individuals who make up CNN. This place is not perfect. It will never be perfect. We will always have have flaws. We will always screw up. We will always have to run corrections. We will always have to keep working to make it better and better and better every single day. That is the goal. But the people who say we're lacking journalism, that we've become an all talk channel, that we've run off and we're all opinions all the time, that Jeff Zucker led us astray, (laughs) those people aren't watching CNN. Textbook projection. They're not watching CNN. They're watching complaints about CNN on other channels that don't know what they're talking about. Apparently, they're watching Tucker That's the now. Truth. <laughs> Let's put the map up on screen of bureaus around the world. Bureaus? CNN has more bureaus around the world than almost any other news organization on the planet. Probably be downsizing that map soon. covers the world. London and Moscow and Hong Kong and Beijing and Nairobi and all the rest. That's why one of the network slogans is go there. I thought he was talking about Wayfair On the day dressers. Jeff Zucker resigned, <laughs> CNN aired more than 135 reporter hits. 135 reporters in the U.S. and around the world. I'm talking about dozens of live shots from international correspondents in just one day. On the day Jeff Zucker resigned, CNN published more than 215 stories on the website. Most of them Nearly false. 90 original videos. 
That's a hell of a lot of news. It's a hell of a lot of journalism. Do some of the anchors say provocative things? Yes. <laughs> Do some of those clips get played over and over again on other channels and mislead people about what CNN actually is? Yes. Thank God. CNN mm. is the reporters and the producers and the production assistants and the writers and the editors and the technical directors. CNN is the executives and it's the interns and everybody in between who keeps this place running 24 seven. Mm. So when something horrible happens in the world or when something wonderful happens in the world, you know where to turn. That's what CNN is. We lost our leader this week. God, we're I not can't. going anywhere. <laughs> so rest assured. Shut up. They're not going How anywhere. How do you have this guy doing Shut damage control up. and trying to talk to like the public? Well, you know? he's, he's the last one. He's, he's That's what I mean. It's like they're struggling. They're desperate. It's crazy. Well, you know what else is crazy? There is a, uh, I don't even know if you want to call him a journalist. Okay. Um, Jonah Goldberg. He's written hit pieces from here and there, but has been a huge um, anti-CNN person for decades. Okay. And uh, Defiant Else, back-to-back weeks getting in the mentions on the show, not just in Friends of the Week. Uh, Had a good one of him, like, face-palming himself. (laughs) Here's a tweet from uh, October 2nd, 2019. Uh, it's a link to a CNN article, and it said this alone should expedite CNN's removal from airports. Seems pretty standard. Something we might shit post. Removal from airports? Yeah, because you know they're on all the uh, on all the, oh, yeah, yeah. the airports. Like the main channel for the airport. Yeah. So there's another link posted yesterday from uh, Jonah Goldberg, and mm-hmm. this was shared via the Hill in the tweet that says new Jonah Goldberg joined CNN. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, so that's kind of where they're at. I guess he hadn't checked his email yet. Chris Wallace is throwing a temper tantrum, and Jonah Goldberg's going over to uh, continue to amplify the echo chamber that is, this is CNN. That's this funny. was CNN. <laughs> yeah, pretty awful. So that's where we're kind of at with that. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw. Papachito joined uh, Cash Patel yesterday on uh, Cash's Corner. Via, nice. Via the, it was great. Via the Epoch Times. And I uh, I pulled up a clip to uh, share with our listenership because it just came out last night. So maybe they were planning on, you know, checking it out later today. But we'll go ahead and, and, and do a little bit of teasing. Um, I'll show you guys right now. Let's check out this one, I think. I think this. They're good at two things. Politics and rigging elections. That's it. If they use the same genius on running our country, we'd have a country like no other. And, you know, when I say make America great again, I mean that because we have to make America great again. They never talk about greatness. All they talk about is the same old stuff. It's you watch the news. It's covid. It's uh, global warming. Mm-hmm. They talk about global warming. They don't talk about nuclear warming. They talk about yeah. The DOD's warming. priority is global warming. Global and warming. Change. Woke. Everything's woke. Let's make sure that a guy can participate in women's sports. Mm. You see the records that are being broken now. Yeah. A record that held up 11 years in swimming was broken by 38 seconds. So you, you weightlifting like records are being seconds. broken you, you, by numbers like nobody's ever you seen. Do away like with one all hand, those, right? You, it's a disgrace. What's going on is just disgrace. So I, the last thing, and you-, you know, that's kind of a little taste and a teaser for it. 
It was a good interview. You know, piggybacking off of what Donald Trump had mentioned right there, I saw two more states today have banned transgender participation in sexual, you know, boys and girls sports. Amazing. So there's there shan't be crossing over, I think, in it's South Dakota and, and one other state. I can't remember off the top of my head. There's been a lot of stuff coming across my phone throughout the course of the show. Um, but as we're getting ready to wrap here, last clip, and I think it's kind of a, a refocus. You know, it ties all the stuff that's going on together. We're being distracted with COVID. We're being distracted with Whoopi and Bill Maher and the crisis on the southern border, the shitty economy. We can't get gas anywhere, empty shelves. Where are we at? I think Blake Masters kind of framed it nicely. It's the Cold War that we're in with China. And yeah. to continue to propriate things like Russia and Ukraine, who remember, we've talked about it for a couple of weeks now. Both of those countries fucking hate us right now and are pissed off at us because all of the people who are in power are the same people who, who propriated the lies that both of those countries negatively affected the outcome of elections and, and were super corrupt with our 45th president of the United States for the last five years. And um, all this and all the while that this happens, you have China, you know, getting stronger than ever in a, in a geopolitical sense and, and in the economy and, and throughout their military. And I think Matt Gates had a nice little uh, refocusing on the, the House floor yesterday that, you know, we're going to end with today as our uh, last clip. While the Biden administration, the media and many in Congress beat the drums of war for Ukraine, there is a far more significant threat to our nation accelerating rapidly close to home. Argentina, a critical nation and economy in the Americas, has just lashed itself to the Chinese Communist Party by signing on to the One Belt, One Road initiative. The cost to China was $23.7 billion dollars. A mere fraction of a rounding error when compared to the trillions of dollars our country has spent trying to build democracies out of sand and blood in the Middle East. China buying influence and infrastructure in Argentina to collaborate on space and nuclear energy is a direct challenge to the Monroe Doctrine and far more significant to American security than our latest NATO flirtation in the plains of Eastern Europe. China is a rising power. Russia is a declining power. Let us sharpen our focus so that we do not join them in that eventual fate. I yield back. Yeah, pretty solid stuff. It's good. We we say it all the time. It's good to see Matt maturing before our eyes on the House floor and really Mm -hmm. being a better representative of uh, the great state of Florida and the American people up in the in the capital there. But you know, it's one of those things. Listen, Russia is still. As far as intelligence goes and dark money, uh, probably in tech and obviously in nuclear proliferation, probably one of our not greatest allies. Yeah, no. In in the world by far. But it's like he says, when you look at like the state of things within Russia, they are a declining superpower. Yeah. They are nothing more than what they polish and put out there for the world to see. It's not like you can go through Russia and see all of these beautiful places with an amazing middle class and and stuff like that because it's either the elites, the military, the people at the top of their big businesses and stuff like that, and then the entire rest of the country is below third world poor. Yeah. And uh, living in awful conditions. Much as the same way with China, who's just continuing to buy up everything. And what they don't have in their country now, they're getting from places like Australia, South America, Central America, and, and all over the world, definitely parts of Africa, 
when it when it comes to like energy and stuff like that, and it's just really scary. So and, and something that we're going to need to address more. Unfortunately, something that we probably won't address until after you know the midterm elections when we can really tip this uh, Biden agenda slowed down to a crawl. What do you think? Seems legit. You seem legit. <laughs> you know what else is legit? Our show today, not bad. A lot of news and commentary. We had uh, Colonel Allen West do a late reschedule for next week, but he'll be joining us nonetheless. And we had an amazing America First interview with uh, Blake Masters. And if you want to hear it, you can find that and all of the other 106. I mean, if you're listening right now, you probably already heard it. True story. Steak for Breakfast podcast episodes on every major downloadable podcasting platform. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcasts, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds of the week, obviously Mr. Blake Masters for joining us today. Uh, in addition to that, some of our internet friends, Cagbro88, Patriotic Babe Accounts, Mr. Garbaggio, Kyle Becker of Kyle Becker News, proven right again on a lot of that COVID stuff. Uh, Mike Crispy, the host of Red, White, and Truth. Miss Christina Bob of OAN and the editor-in-chief of The National File, Mr. Tom Papper. Friends, don't forget to get out there and uh, show a little love to our partners. They are uh, small American businesses, and by you showing them your credit card number, Ooh. you can help make them great again. My pillow. I don't even think we need to do a commercial, but we're going to do it anyway. Mike Lindell's great. He loves this country. My pillow products are of the highest quality. And he's got a lot of sales going on right now. I've got some sheets on the way right now. Are they Giza of Dreams? Yes. Delicious. They're super soft. And some towels. I'm wearing the My Slippers, and uh, the towels are amazing. They live up to the uh, f- what I think are fake, like on all the commercials on TV where they pour the detergent on two different towels. The My Pillow ones really dry you off. It's weird. I, I-, I love them, but you have to know I'll do a. A little in-home testing himself. Well, I mean, I've had towels that are issued by the military, so. Well, there you go. Cardboard towels. Yeah. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website. You can talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear sits on top of Noah's head also right now. Sounds delicious. You can find it at Odyssey. Odyssey.com. Facebook and Instagram. Uh, they got pages there as well. Stay ready, gear holsters. Melted Kydex done right. Block of plastic, melt it down, send them a picture. They're going to put it on there. You're going to shove your gun into it, strap it to your belt, and hide it under your shirt. It's amazing, and so are they. They got a new warehouse where the uh, orders are going out faster than ever before. StayReadyGear.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram. Man rubs. Don't mistreat your meat. For anyone that's not good at math, we always say the uh, simplest equation for using man rubs. You buy it. You shake it, you rub it, you smoke it, you break it down, you put a little barbecue sauce on it. Break it down? Yeah, and just a little, just, you know, what do they call it? You pull a little pork. Oh. Thank you. Throw it in your mouth, num, num, num. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. Fact of the matter is he's got guns, he's got ammo, and he's a great guy. I got him on the hunt for something for me right now. Ooh, I sent him a message on Facebook Messenger. Yeah. Instantly replied with questions and answers. Nice. For the gun you eventually, or gun part, or gun accessory that you won't buy and never will own. No, definitely. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com is the website. As Noah mentioned, you can talk to him on Facebook Messenger. 
and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. Whether you're into flip-flops or just tactical patches, you can find them all at Mediocre Medic and via their Fire IG. I still got to get my fanny pack. And last but certainly not least, home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. As they sit over my right shoulder right now, you can find them all on dumpbox.us, Facebook, Instagram, for those guys in addition. How much do you think uh, you got invested in that patch panel? If I take the ones off the roof liner of my car as well, several thousand dollars. Yeesh. Yeah. <clears throat> Upcoming shows. So uh, Friday's going to be a big one. Miss Christina Baba Voyan will be joining us to do the news. Nice. We're going to have Suzanne Harp, who's running in Texas 3. We're going to have the Raw League Nationalist for an exclusive interview. And we're going to do an America First roundtable with two people out of New York, Andrew McCarthy and Desi Quayle, are both circling back. Next Tuesday, Darren Beatty's going to be joining us. In addition to him, Dr. Zelenko will be sitting down with us as well. Ah, awesome. And then we're going to have uh, Roland Lopez, who's running to represent Texas 38. Michael Johns, the co-founder of the Tea Party, will be with us on the 18th of February. In addition to him, Miss Mallory Staples, looking to represent Georgia 6 in the midterms. Matt Brainerd's going to be circling back. And we're going to have Ian Smith coming on for his uh, America First interview with us. Reschedule's done right with Tony Cowden on the 22nd. Newly announced House candidate Jules Gray, looking to represent Colorado 8, will be joining us as well. Gavin Wax, the president of the New York Republicans Club, apologized for missing out on the show last Friday and then rescheduled for the 22nd. In addition to him, we're going to have Bob Burns, who's looking to represent New Hampshire 2. On the 25th of February, gubernatorial candidate out of Nevada, Michelle Fiore, who's been self-described as the girl Trump, will be joining us to talk about her race for the governorship. And in addition, Oklahoma senatorial candidate Jackson Lehmeyer, the pastor, will be joining us to talk about his America First campaign. Jim Bognett, Pennsylvania 8, and Mike Collins circling back out of Georgia 10 will be with us on the 1st of March. And on the 4th of March, Republicans for National Reform President Mark Ivanio and J.R. Majewski, looking to represent Ohio 9, will be joining us for an America First interview there. Good stuff. I like it. Friends of the Week, I already mentioned it, the Finals, the Duke of Memes, Sublime and Slime, Mad America, Let's Go Brenda, Dank Elvis, Snack.Nicholson is back. And you know who else is back? This is a real throwback. Throwbackier than Nick. As our last friend of the week, and in addition to Pubertos, Baby Cakes 2.0. Wow, she's back! Four months suspension, she got her account back. Nice. Yeah. Things to remember between now and next show. Do your own research. We say it. Blake Master said it today. And uh, we encourage you to do that. Start a podcast. No timestamps needed. And nothing else to say. <laughs> and uh, remember, like Donald Trump likes to end a lot of his uh, commentary in. Let's see what happens. This has been episode 106 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And on behalf of the pod team, we'll be back on Friday with episode 107. I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Antoinette. Bye, guys. Love you, dear. Thanks for listening, and take care. Industrial level Satanism. So when you see the heads of these IT companies, and when you see these congressmen and people, and when you see all of these people
They rape children. They kill children. They have more respect for a filet mignon they're going to eat and the cow they killed than they do your children. In fact, it's not just they don't care about your kids. They want to hurt your kids. They want to rape your children. And if they can't stick their filthy genitals in them and pump disease into them that way, oh yeah, the pubs want them big time. If they can't do that, they're going to inject them with deadly poison that mutates their bodies and attacks their DNA for multi-generations. But God will deliver us from this evil. It's all about raping.